welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 169 for Saturday the 7th of September 2019. Coming up this week, I've just started writing my seventh book of 2019. My rapid release schedule begins on Monday. I'll let you know how I've been getting ready for that. And I'm back to ordering book covers again, this time for the series that I hope will perform as well as my Don't Tell Meg trilogy. So welcome to this week's podcast diary. I'm in a real rush today. I've had to thrash today. I've just finished writing. I'll tell you about that in a moment or two. I've got to record this diary. Then I've got a client. And then tomorrow I'm doing a training call. So I've taken on, because I need to keep these contracts ticking over, um, I've taken on some training sessions again. So I'm teaching WordPress all day tomorrow. I've got a client this afternoon. Got to get this diary done today. <laughs> so it's, it's just one of those days. Things are just a little bit uh, frenetic at the moment. But there's lots of news as ever. Uh, I have started writing today. So today I have written literally in the last five minutes. I told you it was frenetic. I got a glass of water, sat down and started recording this. So I started to to write Circle of Lies and I wrote 5,342 words of my brand new book today. So Circle of Lies follows on from Left for Dead. Now, you'll have heard me talking about the Morecambe Bay trilogy. Left for Dead is the first part of the Morecambe Bay trilogy. I wrote that earlier in the year. Judy Corden has done an edit of that. And this is one of these bizarre situations where, because I don't release that book until, I think it's about November, something like November, I think, early November, uh, something like that. Let's have a look at the diary. It's uh, 11th of November. So that doesn't get released for another two months. So in terms of this sausage factory that I've got of, of rereading books, re-editing books and releasing books, frankly, that isn't my priority now. So even though I've got the edit done by Julie, I can't get to it to do my final edit of it and process it and turn it into a vellum file until later, because in terms of priorities, it's not my priority at the moment. But having written the book and had it edited and knowing there's nothing kind of majorly structurally wrong with it, I'm now writing the book that follows on from that. And then straight after that, I'm going to move on to book three. Now, originally those books, I was going to write them like a series originally. And I was just going to take characters from the first book and then give them their own adventure. But actually, as I started to sit down to plan this book, I decided that I'm going to turn it into a trilogy. It's a bit like Don't Tell Meg. With Don't Tell Meg, I know some of you have read Don't Tell Meg. But at the end of Don't Tell Meg, literally, if I just erased the last sentence, it's almost the last sentence, where whereby the whole story you know, reaches some resolution. But in the last sentence... Uh, the protagonist gets a postcard and we know that this there's something still up with this this lady the protagonist Meg the main character in it and, and that's what I'm doing with this book and that in actual fact when I wrote Left for Dead it was a standalone book it could have just sat like that and it was over and done with but the more I thought about it and the more I was and I always plan actually in the first sentence I usually plan on paper and write in scribbles and circles and arrows and all that sort of thing when I was thinking about the story I thought that just like I did with Don't Tell Meg, in actual fact, if I just twist the story, if I put just the next scene in the story, uh, I, I got another trilogy out of this. <laughs> and it's working quite well, actually. So I think probably when I spoke to you last week, I'd started to plan this book. Well, that's what I did all weekend. So I didn't write at the weekend. I 
knew that by the end of Saturday and Sunday, however long it took me and however painful it was, I had to squeeze out a 75,000 word plan for this book because I had to start writing it today. And today at the time of recording this, I should say, is Thursday. I had to write it today. I've got no wriggle room. I just have to write. So I got that story planned uh, quite late on, I say quite late on Sunday. It was about eight to nine o'clock, I think, on Sunday. I'd been working at it most of the day. I finally managed to plan the book. I've, I've got the arc of the story. I've planned out every single chapter now for a 75,000 word book. And I knew on Sunday that I was happy with it. I got an arc. I'm really happy with the way the story develops. And also I know what's going to happen in book three already. So book two is going to feed into, into book three. And so the whole story uh, will find its resolution at the end of book three. And it, and it works pretty well. I started writing today. As you know, when I do these first 5,000 words, regardless of whether I've got a plan or not, I'm always very jittery when I start to write a brand new book. Of course you are. It's like starting a new job. It's like starting anything new. You, you hope it will work. You've planned for it. You've prepared for it. You hope it will work. And that's why I call it fly or die. I know that by the time I've written the first 5,000 words, I know whether I'm into this book or not. Now, because my books are thrillers, they don't beat around the bush. Usually my books pretty well start on the first sentence. Uh, I, I like to get straight into it. So when you hear people talking about craft-wise, they, they say, don't have loads of description in the first chapter, just get on with it. Well, often I'm straight into the book in the first sentence, and I am in this one too. I I had to uh, had to disturb my wife last night after about 20 minutes in bed and say, sorry, I've just got to get up and write down the first sentence of this book. It's just come to me while I was sitting there thinking about it in bed. So I emailed the first sentence of the book to myself, and that's what I've started with. It just takes you straight into the heart of the action. Um, so I'm already enjoying it. I've, this morning, I have had a very threatening intimidation scene. I've already delivered a body, and I've had a teenager coming back at two o'clock in the morning, heavily made up and in a, a short dress, uh, when she shouldn't have been even out of the house. So within the first three tra- chapters, I've already created all the sort of tension that's going to give this book uh, its momentum as we go forward with it. So I, I feel instantly happy with it. Uh, yeah, just just very sort of happy with the story. I, I know I'll be able to, to do this story because, again, because of the way I've got the structure. Um, having having started it now, having got that initial momentum, having got back into the characters, reintroduced everybody, uh, set up the inciting moment, uh, it, it, it's all there. We're good to go now. So I feel, touch wood, I always say touch wood, but I feel reasonably confident that this is just going to be, because I've planned it out so well, a turn up and go. Turn up, write 5,000 words, rinse and repeat till we get to the end. Slightly differently this time, because I'm trying to write to budget, I'm trying to make sure that I hit 75,000 words, and that's a budget constraint. I want to. I, I don't want to end up writing 90,000 words. I'm going to be really disciplined. I want to keep this as close to 75,000 words as possible so that when I pay for the edit, I'm paying what I budgeted for it, and then I can keep lots of money back for advertising. I'll talk to you about advertising later on in this uh, episode. So I've actually written this. Normally, I would write 5,000 words over 15 writing days. This time, I've, I'm writing over 14 writing days because I always overwrite. So for instance, I've always already overwritten today. I'm at 5,342 words. So I, I always overwrite. And I, I never underwrite from 5,000 words. And if at 5,000 words, I got a load more to write, I'm in, in the middle of uh, a, a plot sequence and, and I haven't finished it yet, then I, I write on. I never write under, or, unless it's for, for 
strategic reasons. I think I, a couple of weeks ago I said to you I wrote 4,000 and something, but that was only because it brought me to my word count. I'd already overwritten. So I don't underwrite um, as a very as, as a rule. Uh, so I want to make sure this lands at 75,000 words, which is my new sweet spot for a book. I always feel a little bit exhilarated after I've started a brand new book. I'm always nervous beforehand and I always feel exhilarated afterwards. So I am on a bit of a high at the moment because Circle of Lies is underway. That is book 22, my seventh book of the year, which is absolutely ridiculous. I know that, but this is how, this is what we're doing this year. It's just how it is. Incidentally, I, I got to tell you that, you know, I'm really pleased with the books I've written this year. I'm just trying to think through them. You know, I think um, I've written some of my strongest books this year, even though they've been written at great speed. And I have enjoyed the collaboration process. I've enjoyed having more people over my books, to be honest with you. Uh, I have that. I think it's benefited from that. So, yeah, it's been been a year where I feel like I've moved on. My my wife. I told you that my wife had read two years after the other day, and she she'd said she hadn't really picked much up on it. She'd really just made two points that she felt quite strongly about, which are very easy to fix. I'll talk to you about that in a moment when I get to ed- editing. Um, but she said, you know, I just I, it feels like a. She said, I feel like your writing is just much more confident, much more self assured now. Uh, there was nothing really in that book that I, I I picked up on as a reader. Now she doesn't read it as an editor; she just reads it for story, really. And obviously, you know, she could spell. She knows what's. She could point out stuff that's wrong with it, but she really reads it just for story and plot for me. And I sort of questions I ask my wife are because she's not a natural thriller reader. I mean, I, I think probably my thrillers are the most thrillers she's ever read consecutively. But I usually ask her things like, "Does it keep you engaged? Do you like the characters? Are you excited? Do you care about the end?" And, you know, usually the comments I get from my wife are, you know, please write faster or I, I want to know what happens. And so I take that as a good sign because she's not naturally a, a thriller watcher or reader. But obviously, when you get to an editor, you're looking for different things. But she's usually my first reader. I usually appreciate that. I just want to know that I'm not f- wide of the mark, really, when I'm writing. So I have been editing this week. So planning on sort of Saturday, Sunday, editing over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. So after work, while I'm doing the day job, I've been coming home and editing six chapters a night. So we're up to, there was a prologue in there. So I'm up to, I start at chapter 18 next. This is a, I think it's 29 chapters. It's, I've got an, I've got an epilogue at the end of it. I can't remember how many chapters. It's 30, 30 chapters effectively, but there's a, a probably 28 chapters, an epilogue and a prologue, something like that uh, on this book. But I've been doing six units a night. And uh, I was a bit worried when I started because um, I'd given my wife the Google Drive document and she always puts her changes in there. And she had, she'd had quite a go at me about the, the beginning. She it was, um, it's about, well, I won't, I won't give the plot away, but it just said you need more of this in it. Um, a lady in this situation would be thinking like this. And I just said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I totally agree with that. So I, I thought there would be more rewriting to do than there was. It was pretty light, to be honest. I didn't have to put very much in it. It was just a sentence here and there, a nuance here and there. That's all it was. And, it, and that scene works and it's taken on board what the feedback that I got from my wife. But she hasn't really made any other changes after that. I kept coming back to her. I keep looking at there, looking for changes. I said, there are many changes on there. She said, no, it, it just was a good read as far as I was concerned. There were these two bits that bothered her, uh, which is flagged up. So I didn't have to make many changes from my wife. And as I've gone through it, remember, this is my second pass. It's pretty, it feels pretty tight. I'm sure when Julie Cordner gets it, she'll have other things to say, but it's pretty tight. Julie, you'll be pleased to hear I've been removing or checking hyphens. I've been really thinking about commas. 
and I have removed loads of ellipses. <laughs> so I do hope that when you get it, at least those annoying things, uh, maybe I've spared you a few of those, but I, I really am making an effort with it. I'm using Grammarly to to try and guide me. So I, I hope it will be reasonably tight by the time you get it. But I, I've got two more uh, stints of editing to do. I'll do another one tomorrow night when I finish doing this corporate training. Uh, hopefully I'll have enough energy left to do that. I didn't want to do the podcast after I got back from them because often my voice is shot after a day of talking. So I'm doing the podcast while I got a full voice today. So I'll just be editing tomorrow. And then on Saturday afternoon, I will finish off that edit and it'll be ready to go off to Julie. So we start the rapid release on Monday. And, and it feels funny saying that because actually, um, Adam, I, I didn't really realize this. Um, it's been ever so interesting working with Adam and just picking up all of this as I go along. Uh, if nothing else, if the book does nothing, uh, I feel like I'm getting a masterclass in rapid release because, of course, um, you know, Adam responds to me quickly. He's, he's, he's happy to answer my queries. He's telling me what he's doing and what he's planning. And it's been really educational for me. Um, but because the book was is on pre-release already, it kind of feels like I've started rapid release already. But of course, we don't actually formally release that first book. Now you see her until Monday. And I think Adam's got it time for about four o'clock uh, UK time so that we hit the, the US. I think I think that's, I don't know whether he can set the time on it, but that's usually what he aims for, certainly with promotions and letting people know that it's live. So let me bring you up to date with where we are with rapid release. We got the paperback cover for Now You See Her. That arrived after I spoke to you on last week's diary. So we're using Elizabeth Mackey for this book cover. She's done a couple of covers for Adam. I really like them. They're really exactly what I'm looking for. And of course, obviously, um, I, I've just paid a lot of money to Stuart Bache. And for one moment, I don't ever resent. Um, I'm so happy. I can't tell you how kind of proud of my books I feel. When I look at all those covers in a row, um, I, it just makes me sort of really feel much uh, more proud about my work. When I look at the old covers I made, and I know my old covers weren't as terrible as the default cover that you could make in Amazon, but they weren't, they weren't good. And you can see how terrible they were when, when you look at a Stuart Bache cover. I'm looking at Stuart Bache's cover thinking, and I said this to you last week, I'm looking at my own books thinking, I want to buy that book. I love that cover. It sets the mood, the scene, the feel. It is absolutely perfect. I'm so pleased with those covers. I can't tell you how pleased I am with them. Um, though hopefully you'll get that sensation from what I'm saying to you right now. Um, but, but at the moment, because, because now it's all about releasing the books, and about my budget and about saving as much money as I can for marketing. At this moment in time, I can't afford to spend another thousand, whatever it would be, thousand and a half pounds on covers. So what I've done, because Adam's covers are so nice, I can get the covers off Elizabeth, uh, you know, a lot, a, a lot less than I'm going to pay Stuart for them. Uh, they will still be great covers. So, because uh, I really like the the artwork in Adam's covers, very pleased with the the cover on Now You See Her. So, so I'm going, I'm going to go for that because um, of the budgetary constraints at this moment in time. I want to keep money. Uh, I want I want great covers. I'm not doing my own again, um, but I can't afford uh, more covers from Stuart Bache at the moment. I've just you know had a big bill, obviously, for all my six covers I've done. I don't want you for one minute to think that I resent that. Um, but in terms of cash flowing, in terms of um, you know deciding what money you're spending on and when, I've made a strategic and financial decision to go s to pay slightly less for my covers this time around. The covers will be great. Um, because I want to put lots of money into marketing, because that was one of the messages I took from listening to what Adam says. So if you want to take a look at the paperback cover, then take a look on the resources page for this week. Just go to 
selfpublishingjourneys.com and it's episode 169. Now also I have placed my cover order to Elizabeth. So we've got the cover for now. You see her? I've given her my order now for Left for Dead, Circle of Lies and Truth Will Out. This is the Morecambe Bay trilogy. So because Elizabeth's designing all three of those covers, they will be released uh, sequentially. So they won't mix up the covers I've already got you know in terms of uh, marketing I will move from a whole sequence of Stuart Bache covers to uh, a series of Elizabeth Mackie covers so it'll all work in terms of branding and, and launch and Elizabeth is doing all the three covers for the Morecambe Bay trilogy and they will be marked as such um, but this is why um, I had to I, I talk about this sausage machine and that the sausages have to come out in the order they've been made um, this is why I was saying to you earlier that I can't edit I can't do my final edit of Left for Dead yet. Everything is in a strict order. I have to do the jobs in the order of the list. And so I had to plan a circle of lies and know what truth will out is going to be about. So I could then give Elizabeth Mackey clear instruction for the covers. I'd agreed with Elizabeth that she would have the cover details by the end of August or the 1st of September that's when you get the cover details so I had to hit that deadline so all these things have to happen in a certain certain sequence and I have to hit my deadlines because I can't let Elizabeth down by coming in late with an order she won't want to work with me again so you, you got to hit these deadlines you've got to agree deadlines and stick to deadlines as well um, so that deadline was delivered, you know, usually a little bit earlier than I said I would. And I'm just waiting for those first designs to come in. Now, in actual fact, I've just got my emails open. This is the sort of thing. Sometimes by serendipity, these things pop in when I'm talking to you, but they haven't quite come in yet. They're not, they're not there yet. But uh, Elizabeth said, I'm working on your covers this week and they'll be popping into my inbox at any time, which is very exciting. And Adam and I seem to be doing okay with the pre-sales on Now You See Her. We've both been thrashing it. I've been sending money over to Adam. Now, we decided that Adam would would primarily do the Facebook ads for this. I, I told you last week that I burned up some money on the BookBub ads. And I, I said to Adam at the beginning of this week, you know, compared to what I've been getting on my own Facebook ads, and I'll give you the costs and the numbers a little bit later on in this episode, um, I just said to you know what these I'm not really happy with the book ads. I'm I want now I've got access to Facebook again. I I love Facebook as much as I'm very wary of them from pulling me. They the ads work and they're very cheap and the audiences are good. So I I feel like I'm treading on edge eggshells with Facebook at them. I'm taking great care with the wording. I'm not putting anything that might possibly offend them or anybody. Um, but I am running uh, Facebook ads now, and I've I've also set up some on Left for Dead already as well, which is on pre-release. Again, I'll talk to you about that in a moment or two. Um. But I said to Adam, look, I want to pull this budget out of BookBub and I just want to stick it on, on other ads. So I've been advertising on Google. I've been ad advertising on Bing ads. I'm also advertising on Facebook ads. And we're just sending loads of traffic at the pages at the moment. And um, Adam sent me a note yesterday. And I always like it when somebody like Adam, who's done this a couple of times now, sends me a note and he sounds excited saying that we've got over, this was yesterday, uh, Wednesday, um, we've got over 300 or we've got 300 pre-sales of Now You See Her already. And I think the most I've ever had was 50 on a book. And, uh, you know, usually I don't get very many at all. I think 50 is the most I've ever had. Uh, I can't even remember what book that was for. Um, but we've got 300 pre-sales and counting. And Adam says, um, because of our position in the charts, I think we were 30 something on a UK um, crime chart next to people like Joe Nesbo and, you know, people people who've got um, traditionally published books. Uh, this is for paid, not for free. 
Um, I've sort of not had really had that experience for paid before, not on Amazon. I have had it on Apple, but not on, on Amazon. Um, he says he, he thinks we might get a hot new release on Monday, which is quite exciting because if you get a hot new release, as Adam was explaining to me, you kind of hit the Amazon algorithm from day one and they start to sell that book and put it through their promotional engine. So it looks to me like what we're, we're aiming for is a hot new release for Monday. So I'm very happy. I, you know, I really don't care. You know, I'm throwing everything I can without losing the shirt off my back on this. I'm going to throw everything I can at this rapid release because I want to know if there's anything to play for because if I can't make this work I have to go back to the drawing board I think and scratch my head and come up with another strategy so uh, I'm gonna have 23 books at the end of this I can't just keep writing books um, and not get the sales right I can't write at that rate of knots and not get on top of the marketing not not bring the income in so I, I'm going to throw everything I've got at this rapid release. And that means advertising, advertising, advertising and continuing to push it. So Adam, I know uh, he was in the, um, what is it? Self-publishing formula crime and thrillers group. And he, he he's loaded up with cross promos with other authors. Um, so he's going to do a, an email list share. Now, I don't like email list shares, as you know. I, it's not, a, I, with my sort of experience, I used to do this a lot in internet marketing it wasn't books obviously we were sharing but i would share somebody's free product and they would share my free product and you'd add to your list and and my my experience i i, I know from experience that this kills your list and that you start to send out things that frankly your list isn't particularly interested in and and you kill it um it becomes less responsive so i, I really don't want to do that the one person i would do a list uh, a list swap with is adam nichols mainly because there's there's resonance there we've both written a book together we've written a book together because we share an audience and uh, my audience will know adam and actually a lot of people tell me um, my audience tell me they read adam's books and i know already that i've got a crossover from adam's audience from from what he's saying so so i'm happy with that that feels like a happy partnership so i don't want to get involved in author cross promos but i'm hopefully putting my kind of armory in elsewhere because i've got google ads and bing ads running at the moment they're sending a lot of clicks to that page so um i think it'll be over 300 pre-sales now but we're going to keep thrashing that until we release on monday um following adam's lead i, I sort of what i didn't pick up from my interview with him was that he kind of puts the books on pre-release as soon as they're ready and and I, I sort of hadn't picked that up. I knew he put them on pre-release. I know he puts them on pre-release because you need to put them on pre-release so that you can get the the book link so that you can then do promos and set up Facebook ads. So you can't wait until release day until you get that Amazon link. But I hadn't realized that Adam put them on pre-release pretty well as soon as they're ready, uh, particularly once the rapid release has started, you know, really so that people can buy through and pre-order books whenever they want to. So I, I sort of figured out at the weekend, well, you know, my, I know I've got the covers for my books from Stuart Bache now. I might as well just get on with this. So I have now put um, all of the brand new books that I've got for my rapid release schedule. They are now all on pre-release. So I've put Dead of Night. I've put One Last Chance, No More Secrets, So Many Lies. And don't think I put Two Years After. Maybe I have put two years after. I think so. Maybe put two years after on. They're all on pre-release. They're on pre-release for their proper release date so they this is taking me through until you know the end of september the beginning of october maybe i'm lying about that i can't remember i've certainly put several of the books on pre-release you'll you'll excuse me i hope for not really knowing what i'm doing at the moment because I'm, I'm doing all sorts of things at the moment but uh, several of them are on pre-release they've got the brand new covers on 
Um, I need to have them at sufficient stage to at least have a holding blurb on there, um, even though the, the blurbs won't have been for the blurbs won't get finessed finally until the book gets released. But I got a holding blurb on there that you know hopefully doesn't have spelling mistakes and it makes sense and kind of tells and depicts the story. Um, so yeah, I've got loads of um, pre-releases on there, and I, I've got to put them on at the point at which I know I can definitely deliver those books on the day. I, I know I can because because of the sausage factory as i've explained to you before what i haven't put on pre-release is the box sets i don't want to put the box sets on pre-release they're just going to go live on the day the box sets and to be honest with you i will probably advertise those in a different way it's probably really the box sets are there just to fuel the algorithm on amazon so i don't really expect to thrash the box sets um, they're there as an added extra. They're there to tickle the Amazon algorithm. They're there as a new release for, uh, for Amazon. But I don't really um, expect to push the box sets for sales purposes. Um, they're, they're strategic more than anything. They really just allow me to keep the one book a week, um, you know, rapid release up. Um, they're, they're not really part of the sales campaign as such. Though I know I will, you know, sell some books to people who, who buy the box sets. So that's all uh, extremely exciting. I just wanted to give a, a thank you, a public sort of thank you to John Cronshaw. Um, John, a couple of weeks ago, when I was talking about unpublishing some of my books and then republishing them, John sent me a note. I think it was via Twitter, John, wasn't it? When he said to me that, uh, did you know that you can, you can take a book, you can re-release a book and you can bring your reviews over and at first, I thought I was just going to clean, re-release all the books. I was going to do a ground zero on them. But as you know, I don't, I don't really keep right up to date with my reviews. I look at them from time to time. And I had a look at the reviews on, on Dead of Night. It's got some really nice reviews on it. Not a lot. It's got about four in the UK and I think 14 in the US. But they're all good reviews. Um, you know, people, people saying what that book is, which is, you know, it's not complicated. It's not literary fiction. It's just a non-stop thriller you know wall-to-wall kind of action that's what it is um and it does what it says on the tin and and the um the feedback you know the, the reviews on that when you look at the stars they're pretty they're they're almost five if not four to five i thought well, i don't want to i don't want to throw that away uh i want to keep those and so i i followed up on john's advice and i dropped john a note this week thanks for replying to that john and i just said how do you do this uh, just to share that information what i've done with dead of night is i have got the brand new cover on I've given it a brand new listing in my Amazon dashboard but this is the trick that John said to me is that the first edition has to have in the version section it has to have version one I've always put version one in there which is fortuitous I expect but in the new book you put version two that's the difference so you re-release it you create a completely new book in terms of the, the files um, in, in terms of the listings in your bookshelf it's a brand new listing but you mark it same title this is the same title of course for dead of night the other ones the titles change so it's called dead of night but it's version two i will upload the new files and the new covers of course and it, it, it had the same blurb virtually because the blurb kind of works that that book sold all right i just never really have thrashed it um and and so then you i pre-released it and at john's advice i then uh got in touch with amazon uh support and said i'm re-releasing this book it's a version two book can I please bring the reviews over? Uh, I get a reply from Amazon within 24 hours. Yep, that's fine. We've done that for you. So no questions, no problems at all. Uh, wait 24 to 48 hours for the reviews to appear. The reviews have now appeared. So I, on the UK Kindle book, I got my four reviews. I got my 13, 14 reviews 
uh, .com. .com was slower to come than .co.uk was. There is one anomaly which I think we'll sort out. The anomaly is, is that because the reviews have come back, they brought the old dodgy cover in for the paperback. Now, I I sort of thought that through. You know, you kind of get lost sometimes just thinking it through. And something else Adam Nichols told me, because all of his old books are still available in the ether on Amazon but they're not connected to his current author profile. So another trick I've learned in this process is that when I delisted my books, the, the original versions, Who to Trust and uh, One Fatal Error, when I when I delisted them on Amazon, I had to go into Amazon Author Central and I had to contact Amazon and say, please, will you unlink these books from my author profile? Because I didn't want it to pull it. The thing is, is that you can get rid of the Kindles, but the paperbacks sit there in cyberspace forever. And unless you specifically say to Amazon, please, will you detach these from my author profile? They would sit there on my author profile. Now, I'd done that successfully so that all that was in my author profile in the States and in the UK were just my Don't Tell Meg books. That's exactly how I wanted it. But with Dead of Night now, now these reviews have come in on certain views you can see the old paperback book. So I guess that makes sense, really. It's pulling it in from the dead. Now, what I think will happen is that when I publish the brand new paper book, paperback with a brand new um, ISBN, Amazon assigned, I will link that book to the new Kindle file. And that I think, I think will possibly detach the old book so it doesn't bring it into my author profile. To a certain extent, I just got to feel my way with this because it's all new for me, but I will work through those, those teething issues as, as I, as I come to them. But why that's really reassuring for me is you know that depending on how this rapid release strategy goes, I may or may not re-release Dead, uh, Don't Tell Meg. And I think that I've got so many reviews on Don't Tell Meg. Now I think I could, I would look through those reviews. I would give it an edit, you know, take account of the feedback. Um, and I don't, there's not an awful lot of feedback that I would need to take account of, I think. You know, I've, I've said this to you before, that the people who love it just love it. And they say, um, and the people who love it say, oh, it, you know, for the minute you start reading, you can't put it down. And that's the kind of reader you want. But there is a section of people who read Don't Tell Meg, who seem to, who say it's slow at the beginning. And that's in complete contrast to the people who said, picked it up, couldn't stop reading, you know, action from the start, because that's how I view it too. But it's sort of emotional action. It's not necessarily guns out, people jumping over rooftops. It's not that kind of action, not in the same way that Dead of Night was. And, you know, Dead of Night, for the moment you start reading, uh, Dead of Night is into action. Whereas D- um, Don't Tell Meg trilogy, it's the suggestion of action. It, it's the, the tension comes from the relationships and, and, the, and the conflicts and things like that. It's not all uh, people running around chasing each other. It's not that kind of a book. So I can only assume it's that kind of reader who's giving that kind of feedback. But I would quite like to review those books and give them a light edit just to see if I can, um, you know, just tidy up those little uh, objections, see if we can easily sort out some of those objections. So this experience with Dead of Night has been really useful for me because it's taught me or it's teaching me I, I cl- I've got 170 odd reviews on Don't Tell Meg in the States. I clearly am not going to re-release that book and lose those reviews. There's no way am I ground zeroing Don't Tell Meg. So what this has taught me is that if I do re-release Don't Tell Meg, and it's fairly unlikely that I wouldn't do that. It's going to have to be a pretty disastrous rapid release sequence for me not to, to put Don't Tell Meg at the end. But it, it may happen. Um, but what it's taught me is that I can 
unpublished Don't Tell Meg. So once, um, if I did that, I'll do that um, at the end of this year so that it's been off the market for three months by the time I start to re-release it. And I think the re, where would the first one be re-released? So, all right, so uh, February, the 3rd of February. If I do re-release Don't Tell Meg, the first book needs to be out on the 3rd of February. I think that's right. So, um, yeah, it would, I would take it off sale probably end of November, sometime during December. I might just get Christmas in action and take it at the end of December, then re-release it in February. So it'd be, it'd be off the market for two months in that scenario. Um, but I know I now know that I could do that without losing all those beautiful reviews that it's taken me so long to do. So to me, it makes sense to re-release it at the end of this sequence of releases where I'm, I'm releasing new or unfamiliar books. Uh, it makes sense to do that in a in a polished form because it is currently my most successful series. It makes sense to to, to do that if I've got the opportunity. So um, thank you for passing that on, John. I really appreciate that. And I've learned a new trick. And when I sort out this sort of cover anomaly that I've got, and I, I'm, I'm sure that when I publish the brand new one with a new brand new paperback with a new cover, I'm sure it'll sort itself out. But I'll, I'll let you know how I get on with that. And final rapid release news this week. I just wanted to tell you how the advertising is going. So I'm advertising now. You see her on Facebook. I'm advertising Dead of Night. I've just begun to advertise Dead of Night now. So on Facebook, I'm using, I tell you, they're working very well. Actually, I'm using the lovely images that I'm getting from Bookbrush. Um, I re- really like those images on Bookbrush and, and all indications are that they're working well on Facebook too. Um, now, again, you know, I don't know whether you've advertised on Facebook at scale. I'd be interested to know what kind of cost per click you aim for. But the, um, these don't bother me. Bearing in mind, I just want to send traffic, traffic, traffic to those pages because that's one of the things Adam told me, that it's not, not necessarily sales. It's also traffic to get that Amazon algorithm, to get that support from Amazon. This is what I'm aiming for. I'm not aiming for income in the first instance. I am aiming for my books to be picked up by Amazon and um, put through their ecosystem. That's the aim of this. The money comes second. It's ecosystem first, money hopefully, touch wood, second, or some money second. So um, here are the, the scores on the doors with the adverts, just to let you know what's going on. So Facebook, now you see her running a, an advert that's 272 clicks so far at 11 pence a click. That's been varying over the week uh, between 9, 10, and 11 pence per click. So I've had it down as low as 9 pence per click at the moment when I took the stats for the podcast diary, it was 11 pence per click. Dead of Night, I've just started running. As soon as I put the pre-sale up live, I've had 56 clicks at, again, 11 pence per click. I'm running Google Ads on Now You See Her. I've had 103 clicks on that at 6 pence per click. And again, you may remember me doing this. I can't remember how long ago it was, but I was I ran. I can't even remember how much money I ran over it. But I, I was telling you that I was trying to get some traction on Google Ads. And my conclusion was I was getting a lot of clicks, but I couldn't prove that I was getting sales from it. I've got to tell you that um, all of a sudden, my Google ads just kicked in this week. I had something like 71 clicks overnight. And I've been tweaking it and I've got it targeted. I've got my retargeting audiences in there. So I've been retargeting on Google and I'm retargeting people who have visited my author pages, which is is not a huge number of people, but it's a big enough audience for Google. I have created a lookalike audience on Google 
for that audience. So you can, it's just like Facebook ads on Google. When you retarget, you can have um, your own email audiences, audiences as you build for visitors from your website and an audience that um, then is a lookalike audience. That lookalike audience is performing really well on Google, but also you could determine clicks by interests. And I can't remember the, the interest is something like thrillers, you know, murder and crime, something like that. And and it's doing really well. So six pence per click on Google. And also because I use visual ads for retargeting on Google, the ads look um, fabulous because I'm using the, I'm, and I've refined the ads this week too. I'm using the images from Bookbrush. I'm using square and rectangular images from Bookbrush. And they look fantastic in these Google ads. And you, you need a little logo for these ads and rather than use a logo I've just used a, a picture a 3d image of the book standing up and they look really good it, it it kind of it pulls in your headlines and your text at random and, and mixes the images and the, the logos at random you get these wonderful uh, these wonderful ads that display to your audience so the ads look fabulous I think and obviously I'm just kind of feeling my way with this um, but when I when I did this the first time when I tried retargeting on Google I think I've probably told you this it was a couple of years ago and I wanted to, I really desperately wanted to try and get my head around retargeting. And we were working with a guy in property, a colleague of mine. Uh, uh, we'd worked on a, uh, it was a property training product that we'd built and recorded. And we made for a 19 pound spend, we made 2000 pounds. That was until, <laughs> I won't go into the detail with this, but I'd done something wrong because I'd done it in haste. I'd done something wrong that broke Google's rules. And they, they banned, they banned the advert. But in between launching it and getting banned, it, I, I'm not a naughty by honestly. It was when I got, when they blocked the advert, I realized what I'd done and it was nothing evil. It was just a, it's just a, it was nothing evil. Honestly, I don't do anything evil, but, um, I, I understood why they'd blocked it, but it was a £19 spend and a, t- a 2000 quid in the bank from that. Um, so I, I've always loved retargeting. And there's, there's this little kind of, you know, imp on my shoulder that says, you ought to be able to make this work, Paul. You ought to be able to make this work. So um, I've got those ads running and they're cheaper than Facebook ads at the moment. I've also just, what I did is I just cloned that advert. I cloned the audience. I cloned everything except obviously the images of the text. And I'm just waiting for that to fire in now. Actually, it's just, it just approved before I started writing this morning, but I've now got exactly the same audience, um, but different texts and different images running on dead of night. I'm doing exactly the same, rinsing and repeating, and I'm sending them dead of night adverts as well. I've also got Bing ads going at the moment. I think last week when I spoke to you, the Bing ads weren't actually displaying. They are displaying now. I've only had 16 clicks at 27 pence. It took a while for those to kick in. Um, those are keyword only ads. They're not pictorial ads. And I, I'm, I'm new to Bing ads. I have played with them in the past, but I'm feeling my way through Bing ads. So this is very experimental. 27 pence per click is too much. But to be honest with you, at this stage, I'm just happy that they are actually uh, showing and displaying now. And they're displaying for all the right keywords too. So that's very much um, experimentation. It's very much trial and error, the Bing ads. But I'll, I'll keep you up to date with that because I'd like to get those working as well as the Google ads are working. So I have put pause on the BookBub ads simply because I'm getting better results faster, better results, more clicks from uh, from Facebook and from Google. Um, you know, why not really? So And the other thing to tell you is I did try to set up Amazon ads this week, but I think because the books are in pre-sale, I haven't really applied myself to this. So I tried to start, uh, set some out. I had some time, was it Monday night? I had a bit of time to do this. So I, I tried to set some 
Amazon ads up for Now You See Her, but it wouldn't find the book in my listings. Well, it's got my author name on it and, and it did allow me to find it in Amazon Author Central. So I have a feeling that's because the book's not on sale yet. I don't know that, but I have a feeling that's why it is. And I haven't had time to look at it again because since then I've got all my other books on pre-sale. So I don't know whether it won't let me put the ads to it because it's on pre-sale at the moment. But as soon as I can see those books within the ads ecosystem, I'll be setting up Amazon ads. Incidentally, my best-selling book, I can, obviously I can't. it's not my best-selling book, but I can't see the sales on Now You See Her. But the, the book that's brought the most money in this week, this almost makes me want to cry, is my MailChimp book. You know, the MailChimp book, which is out of date, which says it's out of date in the blurb, which is only in paperback, the one that sells at 10 quid a time. That's the book that's made me most money this week on my dashboard. Uh, And guess what I'm running Amazon ads to? That non-fiction book. And I make no effort with it at all. It just sits there. I keep putting a budget on it. And whenever I put a budget on Amazon ads, that non-fiction book sells. I wish I could replicate that with fiction. But you know what I said to you? That I may have to rethink things. If this rapid release really doesn't move the needle for me, that I'll be rethinking things. One of the things that's in play there uh, is nonfiction. It's a move to nonfiction uh, because it's easier to sell, frankly. It's easier to write. It's easier to sell. I don't enjoy it as much as fiction. My aspiration is to have success with fiction. That's where I'd like to have my success. But my perception is it's easier to have success with nonfiction. And it's much easier with Amazon ads. I can tell you that. Uh, because I haven't done a lot with Amazon ads to to get those sales. So um, just an interesting observation that I noticed this week when I was having a little dig in my Amazon ads keyboard. Uh, a couple of responses to my tech episode this week. It was a long one. And in trying to make sure that I don't shortchange you over summer, I've, I've ended up giving you too much money back. <laughs> I've just got a bit crazy, really. Um, you know, because I, I put these longer episodes in the pot to make sure I, I could always deliver something and not, I, I've, I've never not delivered on this podcast. And, and it, it's a bit, have you heard this anecdote about Jerry Seinfeld, whose productivity method is that he puts a tick on a calendar, um, every time he did some writing. And when you, when you break, you don't want to break the chain. Well, that's how I am with this podcast. I don't want to break the chain. I've, I've never missed an episode. I don't want to miss an episode. So, um, to, to prepare myself for that because I thought I might be a bit squeezed over summer. I pre-recorded g- generic episodes and then I've ended up being able to do the weekly diaries and ended up with extra episodes. Well, I hope you've got some good sort of value from that and, and it's been useful for you. But uh, I've had a couple of responses to Monday's t- tech toolkit episode. And incidentally, um, I, I tried, I try not to give advice on this podcast. You know, when I, when I'm a multi-millionaire author, like a Mark Dawson, I will give, I will be happier to give advice. I'm really just, I, I kind of give this, sh- just sharing what I've learned and what I do. I, I wouldn't say it's advice. I, I'm just really sharing what I do and my experiences. And, and if that's any help to you, then fantastic. And um, I'm just kind of blundering through it. And hopefully you can learn something from what I do. So that it's given in that spirit. So, um, Edward Downwards got in touch and said, Hi, Paul. Uh, comments this week are too long for a, a tweet. When it comes to using the cloud, I'm your polar opposite. I want all my tools on my computer where I can use them without worrying about the quality of any internet connection. Uh, I agree with that, Ed- Edwin, because um, what I should say is things like uh, Google Drive, um, you can you could use also on your computer. So it, it syncs with the cloud as well. So all of my um, cloud stuff tends to sync. And it's why I like Scrivener rather than Story Shop and any of the other tools. And it's why I like the Novel Factory download rather than the cloud version of the Novel 
factory. So for backup softwares, I like them in the cloud. But for writing softwares, I do not like them in the cloud. I like them on my podcast. But Edwin says, um, I'm your polar opposite. I want all my tools on my computer where I can use them without worrying about any quality of internet connection. Also, I find cloud software is almost universally slower with Google Docs being among the worst for making me wait between operations. I have to say, I don't find that, Edwin. Uh, that's not my experience. Uh, the cloud is for backups, so I can see how it would help with collaborations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, you'll probably bulk at this, but I keep my website on WordPress.com. Uh, yeah, I do bulk at that, Edwin. But remember, I'm not snobby about this. I am. I, I keep saying this. You know, if you want my opinion as somebody who's been working on the web since 2001, my opinion is that you should have a self-hosted WordPress site. But I'm not snobby about this. I would rather you had any website than no website at all. And by in my book, WordPress.com is the next best thing, Edwin, because in WordPress.com, you can migrate your content into a self-hosted WordPress site and you won't lose anything. So if you ask me to give you a pecking order, I would much rather you were learning WordPress in WordPress.com than you had your website in Wix, Weebly or Squarespace because you can easily transfer it to WordPress.org, uh, the, the self-hosted version, at any time of your choosing and when your budget allows. So I've no problem with WordPress.com. It's actually what I started on many, many, many years ago. Um, Edwin says, I do have my domain name linked to it. That's great. And there's a small annual cost there. Yeah, there always is, but it's not very much. And of course, I can't use anything close to the full range of plugins. That's a disadvantage of WordPress.com. But it does mean I have an easy port to WP.org when finances make paying for a proper hosting site feasible. Totally agree with you. And, um, and, and actually, that's exactly the right strategy. That's exactly what I would say, Edwin. Put it on WordPress.com first. Uh, it's really what I'm really saying is don't put it on Squarespace, Wix or Weebly first, because if you build up loads and loads of content, you're going to find it a devil to transfer it. You're not going to find it a devil to transfer. All you'll do is a simple what's called an XML export uh, from WordPress.com. You'll import it into a self-hosted WordPress site and Bob is your uncle. Your website will be there and you'll have access to all of the plugins. So that is absolutely a great strategy to use. And uh, maybe I should have mentioned that actually in, in that podcast episode. I would endorse that strategy. Um, Edwin says, I'll have to check out many of your other suggestions. I'm familiar with Canva and Bookbrush. Thanks for the recommendation there. But sometimes it's easier to do simple graphics in GIMP. Yep, you know, I I use a bit of all of them. But to be honest with you, you know, I'm trained in Photoshop. Why would you? When, when you see what what when you see what book brush has got when you see what canvas got uh to me why bother messing around with stuff like that i i could um i could work faster in those ready-made tools edwin says i agree about your assessment on microsoft office i've never liked their product i use LibreOffice when required but prefer a simpler text editor for most things outside of scrivener yeah and for years i've used um, openoffice.org which is a free version of Microsoft Office. I think LibreOffice is pretty well the same thing. They're open source equivalents. They're all perfectly all right. The reason really why I have Microsoft Word is simply that's because what editors use. Um, and, and I want something that's easily compatible and doesn't screw anything up. So that's really why I use Microsoft Word. So Edwin, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for sending the email. I appreciate that. And yes, you know, as, again, we're all at different stages. We've all got different uh, budgets. We've all got different requirements. My view is, um, you know, if you listen to the tech toolkit, take what you want, jettison the rest. That's always the best way to deal with when people are telling you what they do. Take what's useful, ditch what's not. I was very happy to get a tweet from John Cronshaw. So John, hopefully I've helped to return the favor of you telling me uh, what to do with my reviews on Dead of Night because John said to me, I was listening to your show while getting frustrated 
uh, trying to cut the background away from Marcus Aurelius's head. Uh, and Marcus Aurelius actually is if uh, is responsible for many fantastic motivational tweets. Um, he was a I don't you know John will know more about this than I do, but uh, you know he comes from Roman times and he was he wrote some really brilliant stuff and many people quote him even today. Um, you know on mindset. And um, so that's probably, I'm guessing that's why John was trying to cut around Marcus Aurelius's head. Um, but he was basically alluding to one of the, the extra tips I shared. I was in two minds about whether to share it. So I'm so pleased you've got immediate use from it because I shared that tool last week about, um, I said they'd train me at the BBC how to cut round images, to cut the background off images. And it's a devil of a job. I've, I've never been able to do it properly, nor have I ever seen anything that did it properly. And in my tech toolkit, I shared a link and it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing how it did it. And John has just experienced that because I was obviously talking about this and he was listening, frustrated at trying to cut around this image. And he said it worked. So um, he said, you shared a timely link that worked. So hopefully that's repaid the favor job. I'm pleased it was useful for you. Last week, uh, you know what I'm like with my tangents. I forgot to mention how many book sweep subscribers I got. So I, I ran you through the book funnels, the prolific works and the story origins, but I didn't tell you how many I got from book sweeps. And that's important because I paid 30 odd dollars for those. So let me just put that right right now. I got 594 new and original subscribers from BookSweep. So when you get BookSweeps, you get a, 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 not a press release, a spreadsheet is what I'm trying to say. You get a spreadsheet and it had more than that. And I can't remember how many it had on, but some of those subscribers are the ones I sent to the giveaway, of course. So you always have a net number of subscribers. The, the, the full number, the gross number is always higher. The net is always lower because obviously you're re-importing, you, well, you don't, MailerLite won't let you re-import them, but you're bringing in duplicates, which are your own subscribers largely. So I got 594 brand new and original subscribers from that giveaway, which means I've now broken 5,000 subscribers in MailerLite. I think my current total last time I looked were 5,110 subscribers in MailerLite, which I'm now paying for. And just to give you the final numbers, um, on the giveaways. I got 398 claims from BookFunnel. I'm now paying for BookFunnel every month again, having made the error of saying, I I'm just going to go to the free one. BookFunnel is just so useful. I'm just paying for it now. I'm going to, it's, it's moved from optional to a core business expense. Now I'm just going to pay for it because I, it's like web hosting to me now. I need BookFunnel to make my author business run. So I'm paying for it now. Prolific Works, I got 157 claims and 86 subscribers. I've now cancelled that service. Um, but I have to say that I thought that Prolific Works of the three, uh, well, the, the four tools that I use to build my list, Prolific Works actually, in fairness to them, gave me the best email reporting. So it gave me the figures that I want really, which is how many people claimed a book off me, 157, how many subscribers did I, did I get as a result? 86. Now, none of the other channels gave me that kind of data. So Prolific Works gave me the best data, I thought. Story Origin. Now, this is a real surprise. Listen to this. Story Origin gave me 186 subscribers from 15 people taking part in my giveaway. 186 subscribers from 15 people. Now, you know that I was going to pull the plug on that because I didn't think it was going to be viable for a long time. So I've got to tell you, I love the pages that 
that Story Origin creates. So when you're doing a giveaway on Story Origin, I love the the user experience, the way it creates the giveaway page. I love the experience when you're signing up for a book because I tested it and signed up for my own book to make sure it was all working. And I love that number of subscribers. I mean, I, I'll bet, you see, BookFunnel didn't give me a breakdown or I haven't found out where it is yet. I couldn't have, I've not been able to find a breakdown of subscribers in BookFunnel to say, well, 398 claims resulted in so many subscribers. But I'm betting that Story Origin either beat or came a close second to book funnel. So my my sort of attitude towards story origin is please get yourself a free account, give it a try. They also do um, email list exchanges, of course, which I don't want to do, but but they manage list exchanges too. So that's another good thing that they do. Please check it out. Uh, put it on your radar. Um, it, it is still in beta. I think it's free all the time. It's in beta. And I've been, it's been in beta for ages and I've had a free account for ages. So I'm really pleased I put it through its paces. Um, it's not quite there yet, but it's looking really promising and you can't knock that number of subscribers. It was a really good experience. So I would like to see a little bit more support around Story Origin. I'd like to see people getting on board and for it to become a kind of common name among self-publishers, because I think if it hits that critical mass of awareness and users, I think it's be quite, you know, quite a useful little tool that. So yeah, Story Origin, check it out. I have a minor correction from last week. Um, you know, my head's all over the place at the moment. I said that the end of the UK tax year was the 4th of April. It's not, that's the day before the end of the UK tax year. So the, the end of the UK tax year is the 5th of April. Um, so I, I just, you know, jumbling my dates, but uh, just, I do know when it is. And I just wanted to correct that. Um, so where are we up to? Yeah. Um, don't tell Meg now. Uh, I've got a book bub, you know, one, one, one spot a time having a book bub would have dominated this diary. And now it's, it's been relegated to how long are we in? Oh, my, we're already 50 minutes into this blooming diary. Crikey. So don't tell Meg has now been placed on Amazon exclusive in readiness for book bub. Now, interestingly, this time I'm going to try something different. So don't tell Meg one, which is called don't tell Meg, obviously. Uh, what's it called? The murder place and the forgotten children. Those are the three standalones. They're in, uh, Amazon exclusive and I've put the box set in Amazon exclusive but I'm going to try selling it as the three standalones and a box set this time I'm unless I chicken at the last minute I'm not going to put books two and three that little bundle together I'm just going to see how that plays out from sales now I got really nervous when I put it into Amazon exclusive because I went right back to my statistics and I was thinking hang on how, how does this work I've forgotten how this works because I was thinking hang on if I'm in an Amazon exclusive I can only put this book for free for five days. So how did that work then? How did I make £5,000 out of putting a book for free for five days? And it made me doubt myself. So I went back to my stats to, was it October 2017? And I was I was looking at my Amazon dashboard and thinking, is, is this how this worked? Or Surely I had this on perma-free to make that amount of money. And and it was right. I checked all the stats. I, um, you can see all the free books came in on the first five days. And then I must have priced it to, to 99 pence or cents after that. But it was. I made the £5,000 from having it free for five days. And then I, I can't... I wish I could recall what the price was. It must have been 99 pence or cents. And I, and that's I made that money from that. And the, and the rest was in reads because obviously, um, you know, people who are in... Uh, what's it called? Amazon, whatever it's called. They, they, they could all, um, you know, read it. And that's where I got the, the money from. 
but I really doubted myself. I was really nervous about it, thinking, is, is that going to work? Am I going to make any money from this? So I, I'm, you know, yet again, I'm, I'm jittery again because the first time I did a book bub, it was Amazon exclusive and that was over a year and a half ago. I mean, I can't remember what happened five minutes ago, let alone a year and a half ago. And then in between times, I did giveaways. Uh, I did, did book bub promos that were wide. Um, and of course, the stress with that was getting it free on all the portals and getting Amazon to, to price match. And so I've completely forgotten in the intervening 18 months how I did it last time. So um, before I put it on Amazon exclusive, I just had a real careful think through about it and checked all the stats. And yeah, that's right. That's how I did it. So I am nervous about that. You know, it's almost like it's almost like witchcraft, isn't it? Being able to create that amount of income from from that process. But yeah, I'm dead nervous about it again, to be honest with you. But anyhow, it's on, it's on Amazon exclusive now. And I've set the, um, you know, I've set the timer. So it's, it's going to be free. By the time we do the book bub, we'll squeeze five down, so free out of it. Then I'll have the price at 99 pence or cents so that it adjusts and we can shift as many books as we possibly can. And we'll see how it goes. We'll just see how it goes. Um, finally, for my news this week, I recorded with Tom Ashford for the Self-Publishing Spotlight podcast. It was just a short, they're just about sort of, well, some of them, I think, are about 10 minutes long, aren't they? But I think mine was probably 20 minutes, because as you know, I yak a little bit. Um, nice, easy podcast. Tom just asked me the five standard questions that they ask. Um, I felt a bit nervous. Isn't it funny that most of the podcasts I've been on are, are people who do podcasts like me. I, I haven't been like on a you know, a podcast like Mark Dawson's, which is massive. You think, how many people are listening to that podcast? I was a bit nervous, to be honest with you. So I'd even, listen, listen to this. This is this is how posh I was when I did the podcast. I actually got rid of my squeaky chair, which you can probably hear squeaking here. Can you hear that squeaking? And I brought a, a chair in from the kitchen and put a cushion on it so I wouldn't be squeaking all the way through the podcast. So I, I made a special occasion of it. And uh, I'd even made some notes so that I wasn't umming and ahhing as much as I, as I normally would and just, you know, did my best to try and get a good take on it. But um, it was good. And, and I was quite pleased with it, actually, because I thought, you know, from a, from a business point of view, um, because I'm getting a bigger audience, I thought from a business point of view, I'm going to see if they'll let me mention my podcast because I might get a few cross listeners. I don't know why I'm whispering, to you, but, you, you know, I'm confiding in you here that I thought if I can mention my podcast... Um, and make it sound appealing. I might get a few cross listeners from, from Mark's podcast because it's getting exposed to a big audience. Now, they'll probably edit it out, but Tom did ask me about the podcast. It was the first question he asked. So he asked and I told him. So unless they edit it out, I might get a bit of a plug-in for the podcast, which was my kind of strategic. It was my strategic reason for wanting to do that podcast, just to try and grow my audience a little bit. So let's see if it makes the final cut or not. We'll see. And Tom said he doesn't know when it's going to run. He'll let me know just before it runs. Uh, he was doing, he, he was, he was recording lots of them in advance. So it'll be out, he said, in the next four weeks or so. But I'll let you know. If I know before it gets released, I'll let you know when that's running. A couple of mentions this week. I just, uh, second mention for Edwin Downward. You get uh, this week's medal, Edwin, for, for two mentions. I, um, Edwin had sent me that lovely picture of the mountain last week and, and my brain wouldn't work in time. It has, I have a delayed action brain is that I need an answer and I get the answer usually about half an hour after I've recorded. It comes to me in a flash of light. But I was saying to you last week that that mountain reminded me of the shape of it was the same as, um, some BBC, not some BBC, some film titles. And I went to look on social media. 
and it's Paramount. Do you remember Paramount where you've got the picture of the mountain and then the stars around it and Paramount at the top of the peak of the mountain? It says Paramount of Viacom Company. You know, how many times have you all seen that? I could not find the, the, the words I needed when I was chatting to you last week. Anyhow, it's Paramount. That's what I was trying to say. That mountain reminded me of Paramount. Now, I don't know whether that is Paramount or not, but it certainly looked like it in Edwin's uh, tweet last week. So that's what I was trying to say. And um, actually, Edwin, you get three mentions this week because that was a follow up to last week. Edwin sent me a multimedia video this week. So um, we, we've got some, you know, it's really getting competitive this because Lucy had done that really nice picture from Croatia. And uh, then we've got some um, images from Tim, who incidentally I'm going to mention in a moment. And um, Edwin has gone multimedia this week and he's put for today's listen to self-publishing journeys with Paul Teague. I'll be driving under the Fraser River at some point while on the way to pick up my wife. And we've got a picture of Edwin, um, not on a dash cam, I don't think. I think it's from his mobile phone and uh, driving through this tunnel. So that's the first multimedia uh, sort of tweet I've had uh, for somebody listening to the podcast. So thank you very much for that, Edwin. Well done. You've, you've moved the needle up a little bit further. And Tim Lewis is in the States again, his second home. Uh, Tim was traveling between Boston and Portland. You know what I'm like with travel, Tim. I'm a sucker for travel. And we've got the view out the train saying, uh, just listen to your show while on an Amtrak train between Boston and Portland. I, I love getting these images. I can travel vicariously through your images. So thanks very much for that, Tim. Hope you're having a great time in the States again. I've been looking at your tweets all this week. If you want to follow Tim, um, he, he attends he attends all the great conferences and so we don't have to pay for it. And he and he shares it on his uh, Twitter stream too. So if you want to go to at Stone and Press, uh, Tim's doing a lot of good stuff and, and sharing lots of best practice with uh, social media at the moment. So that's one of the sort of byproducts of following Tim as well. So that is it for this week's diary. It's my rapid release schedule begins formally on Monday. So on Monday, I'm going to be publishing an extra episode for you, bringing you right up to date with my final consolidated plans and schedule for the rapid release. And also I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to give you a link so that you can download a PDF or an Excel copy of my plan week by week by week by week. You can see the whole thing and you can adapt it yourself or you can laugh at it. Uh, you know, draw caricatures on it, do what you want. Um, you know, put it in the smallest room in the house. Um, but you'll be able to take a uh, take a look at what I'm doing um, because obviously when I'm talking about it, sometimes it's easy to read along with it, I think, and look at what I'm talking about. But you will see everything I've done step by step by step by step. So if you ever want to replicate that or take some extracts from it, it's all there for you. So that's coming up on Monday, the 9th of September. And I, of course, will have another diary for you next week whatever you're doing in writing land i hope you have a great week i'll speak to you soon bye-bye for now thanks for listening to paul's podcast diary make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days until then we hope you have a great week of writing